Shalom to Gracians and friends who are following us online. Good to have you with us this morning. And for those of you who are on-site, welcome home. Exactly a year ago, I remembered, I preached to a church that, that was empty. I remember exactly one year ago this week, I, we started our online service way ahead of uh, other, uh, even before Circuit Breaker, if you recall. First of March was my first online preaching and sharing of the word. And what a journey this one year has been and, and experiencing God's grace, His his faithfulness in Grace Assembly, my personal life, emerging from a pandemic and into the post-pandemic world, God has been good to us. Can someone say amen? amen? This week, we resume our sermon series focusing on the supernatural realm. We took two weeks break from a series because of Lunar New Year and Missions Weekend. And so allow me right now to recap the last two sermons in the supernatural realm series. If you recall, in sermon number four, we touched on the first divine rebellion caused by the serpent the Nahash, and we learned about his origin and the possible reason for his rebellion against Yahweh. In sermon number five, we learned that our Lord Jesus came as the veiled Messiah, the hidden one. He came as a veiled Messiah to crush the serpent's head through his death and resurrection. And his act caught the entire forces of evil by total surprise where they fell right into God's plan by crucifying our Lord Jesus Christ. To the death of our Lord Jesus, the death of our, of our Messiah and Savior, His death became the very cure for restoring humanity's relationship back to God. And that sums up our first divine rebellion and the work of Christ to reverse it. And if you have missed any of our sermon, this week is the sixth one. If you miss any of our five sermons before in the Supernatural Realm series, you can always go back to our YouTube channel and follow us there, all right? Or even our podcast as well. Google Podcasts, Spotify, we are all found there. So you can log on, you can download from our podcast to listen to our sermon as well. Now, different ones of you have also asked me, why should we major on these details in the Scriptures especially the supernatural realm. Why, on, why do we, what are we talking about? The divine counsel, the sons of God, and the serpent, when there are so many other areas in scriptures you can teach on. Well, my answer to this category of questions would be this. Firstly, you must understand, church, that these spiritual beings, these Elohim, they are actually mentioned in scriptures. And if they are mentioned in the Bible, highlighted to us in the Bible, we should study and find out more about them given their special mention in God's Word. And we need to understand, as, as students of God's Word, we need to understand on why biblical writers would keep surfacing these spiritual beings in their writings. And what, what are their roles in God's divine plan that intertwine with ours? You see, the Bible writers must have very good reasons for giving so much space to mention them. So we must take time to find out why are they there in Scriptures. Now, secondly, if these fallen spiritual beings are creating so much pain and troubles in the world today, the church, you and I, we need to give the right biblical answers to those who need to hear them from the very Bible that we profess as God's Word, isn't it? We must be able to explain pain, suffering, and issues of the spiritual world, wickedness from the Bible. 
So from these two quick answers, let me then move on to the sixth part of the series, focusing on the second divine rebellion found in Genesis chapter 6. And the big idea for today is this. God's plan for His human family will not be altered and hostile interference won't go unpunished. And there's a big idea for today. Now, before I expound on Genesis 6, let me preface by saying that there are at least three different logical explanations for Genesis 6. But given the time limit of our service, I can only expound on the view that we are adopting in this passage found in Genesis 6, 1 to 4, and which is the supernatural worldview that we have started in this series. So with that, let me jump into Genesis 6 right now, verse 1. It says that when men began to multiply on the face of the, of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they, they took as their wives any they chose. Now, if you recall, we touched on the concepts of the sons of God in the second part of this series. And basically, the sons of God, as explained in sermon number two, they are spiritual beings serving in Yahweh's divine counsel. And they call, they're called sons of God because it's a family language. It's a divine family language relating to those associating with God in the heavenly realms. Verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Number verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. It's a euphemism, come, came into, it's a euphemism for sexual union. So when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men who were of old and men of renown. We see from the text that the sons of God, they mated with the daughters of men, resulting in the birth of giant human offspring, the Nephilim. Look at verse 5 now. The Lord Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now church, man's wickedness was so great, because of what the fallen sons of God did with the daughters of men. The presence and activities of these fallen spiritual beings intensified wickedness among men. Look at verse 7 now. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I am sorry that I have made them. So eventually we all know that, from, especially from verse 7 and after, that Yahweh decided to send a flood to destroy humanity's corruption and wickedness. Yahweh then called Noah out from humanity to build an ark before the arrival and destruction of the flood. Now in the past, I used to look at Genesis 6 without a supernatural worldview. And I used to wonder, like many of you, I used to wonder about God's drastic use of force to destroy humanity through this flood just because some people mix, have sexual union with one another. 
because I didn't have the supernatural worldview. And I was always wondering, wow, why such a drastic use of force? But now, with a deeper understanding of this divine transgression, I can better comprehend the need for such a drastic measure. Now, allow me right now to zoom out to the big picture that we have gathered from verses 1 to 5. Now, the passage in Genesis 6 records for us an ancient transgression by a, a group of fallen sons of God. Now, the ancient view believed that this transgression went against Yahweh's created order and the set boundary where the sons of God were not supposed to have sexual union with the daughters of men. And the reason is very simple, church, because spiritual beings do not require sexual union because they do not die. They don't die, they live on because they're spiritual Elohim, they're spiritual beings, and they have no need to reproduce. Whereas for human beings like us, we need to reproduce given our mortality on earth. And that's how we reproduce to have children, offspring, to continue the mandate of God to populate the earth and to give dominion over it. However, when the fallen sons of God mated with the daughters of men, they transgressed Yahweh's boundary for His divine family. And this was a very serious transgression. It resulted in Yahweh's divine punishment upon this group of fallen sons of God. Of course, at this point, the question that some of us may have is this. Do divine beings have physical bodies like human beings to transgress with the daughters of men? In order for them to have a sexual relationship, they must have a physical body, right? And of course, this is where we must go back to Scripture right now and understand more about spiritual beings. Because from the Bible, we know that a divine being can appear in a corporeal form that, of a, that with a physical body. And let me show you right now some Bible verses that support the idea. And let's go to Genesis 18 right now. In verse 2, it says this. Now, the background of this story here in Genesis 18 was that Abraham welcomed Yahweh and two other divine companions. Three of them visited Yahweh. I visited Abraham, my, my apologies. Three of them visited Abraham, Yahweh, and two others. And that's the context for Genesis 18. Let me read now from verse 2. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Verse 4. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the trees while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So with all that Abraham has said, this three of them replied, of course, I believe Yahweh together with them said, oh, do as you have said. Now, let me jump to verse 8 now. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now in Genesis 18, we read that divine beings, three of them, one of them was Yahweh who visited Abraham 
appeared in a corporeal form that allowed them to have their feet washed, they ate, and they fellowship with Abraham. And it is not strange then that divine beings can appear in a physical form to interact with human beings. So coming back right now to the story in Genesis 6, the divine punishment against this transgression is also explained to us and further explained in three New Testament passages. And I'm sure some of you had read these passages before and you always wondered, why are these passages in the New Testament Scriptures? And this is where we want to examine these three passages right now. And the first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read to you right now from 1 Peter 3, 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the, the spirits in prison. Now, who are the spirits in prison? And he will explain later in verse 20. These are the ones because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah. So this passage is relating back to Genesis 6 right now. While waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Eight of them. Sounds very familiar, this eight, right? It's like our current restriction in Singapore, right? Only eight person can visit your home. Maybe they got an idea from Noah's ark. <laughs> so Apostle Peter referenced this divine transgression to Noah's days and what Christ did then to descend into the underworld to proclaim his victory to this group of fallen sons of God. Now, this is not the only place where Apostle Peter wrote about this. Let me go to 2 Peter right now, chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. It says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, all right, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, again, it's relating back to Genesis 6 right now, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So this passage here is going back to Genesis 6 as its context when God did not spare the angels who sinned and chained them. Then, look at verse 9 now. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the right unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now, the first and second Peter passage shows us that God executed His divine punishment upon the rebellious sons of God by sending them to hell where they were chained until the day of judgment, until the second coming of Christ. So what was their crime? What were they chained for? They were chained in hell for their sinful lust after the daughters of men and for despising authority. 
the authority God set in place, the boundary God had put in place. Now, let me show you right now the third passage, and, and it is found in Jude chapter 6. They also support the supernatural realm worldview that we have just seen. Jude chapter 6, it says this, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority in heaven, they didn't stay there but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Very similar language that was, that was just read in Second Peter. So we can see here a very similar description of the divine punishment of the fallen sons of God who transgress against God's set authority and boundary. So this supernatural worldview of the transgressions of the sons of God was actually the predominant worldview among the Jews and the early church before the 4th century. For three to 400 years, the church, the early church and the Jews believed that this was the reason why Genesis 6 happened and there were a group of them, they were chained, a group of fallen sons of God chained in hell and that's why they were giants. And you can also find Jewish materials written in the first century during the time of Jesus describing this divine transgression in great detail. So without the supernatural worldview from Genesis 6, we cannot coherently explain the verses that we have read in these three New Testament passages. You can't. You can't explain it. So with that, we can explain it fuller, fully right now, from the old to the new. Not only that, with a supernatural worldview, we will be able to explain Bible passages that mention giants, especially the book of Numbers, giants such as the Anakin, the Raphaim, and the Nephilim during Israel's conquest of Canaan land. And we know that these giants were eventually destroyed under King David's rulership. So right now, as you listen to this supernatural worldview, you will read scripture with fuller appreciation and understanding. So with this, let me summarize what we have learned thus far in Genesis 6 and the passages that we have read in Peter and Jude. So the first summary point is this. A divine transgression took place when the fallen sons of God mated with the daughters of men. The Nephilim were the giant of human offspring of this ungodly union. And Yahweh punished the fallen sons of God who transgressed and chained them in hell for future judgment. And number four, Yahweh sent a flood to destroy the wickedness on earth intensified by the fallen sons of God. So with this supernatural worldview explained biblically through Genesis 6, I want to explain right now possible reasons for the transgression of this group of fallen sons of God. Why did they go against Yahweh by living their abode, coming down to earth to mate with daughters of men? Why? There must, there must be reasons for that. And in order to fully understand the reason, let me revisit two passages that we have read earlier. And that is found in 2 Peter 2.4. Let me read that again. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, 
and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. And Jude 6, and the angels who didn't stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So both passages tell us that the fallen sons of God, they paid a very heavy price to be chained in gloomy darkness of hell for thousands of years until Christ's return. Why would they pay such a hefty price to mate with the daughters of men when they did not need to procreate and propagate lie because they, are, they were spiritual beings? Why must they do that? There must be reason. Why, why, why did they want to go against God's set boundary of, of authority and end up as prisoners in hell? Why? And I want to submit to you two possible biblical reasons. For the first reason, we need to revisit Genesis 3. Genesis 3, if you recall, Genesis 3.15, and this is a passage where God prophesied and spoke to both Eve and the Nahash. And God said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, if you understand this, this verse is regarding the coming of the human Messiah. And it's crystal clear that Yahweh's plan was for the human Messiah to come from the woman's offspring. And this group of fallen sons of God, they knew God's plan. And they wanted to corrupt the seed of humanity by mating with the daughters of men. And their evil intent was to have their own seed among humanity to corrupt and to disrupt Yahweh's plan from sending the human Messiah. They did not want the human Messiah to arrive on earth without some form of interference. They did not want the human Messiah to fulfill Yahweh's plan for humanity. They didn't want it. They want human images to stay alienated from Yahweh, never be part of Yahweh's divine plan to co-rule and reign with God. And that is the first possible reason for going against Yahweh's set boundary and authority. And the second possible reason is found in an earlier verse that we read and also in first century Jewish materials used during our Lord Jesus' time. And, and this is where I must go back to Genesis 6, 5 right now. That we, a passage we've just read where it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The second possible reason why the sons of God came to make the daughters of men is because they wanted to intensify wickedness among humanity so the human images would destroy each other. And from Jewish materials that we have found in the first century, it's written that through their intermingling among the human population, the fallen sons of God taught men human sorcery. They taught them how to build weapons using raw materials like iron and giving them forbidden knowledge to increase human images' ability to destroy each other. 
Therefore, we can say that these fallen sons of God wanted to destroy human images at all costs and to prevent Yahweh's divine plan for humanity from coming to pass. They did not want us, the humans, to co-rule and reign with God. They want to make sure that that would not happen. So with this teaching, I want to apply right now the spiritual truths that we have learned from today's sharing. And let me begin right now with the first spiritual implication. Implication number one, the power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now from the first divine rebellion in Genesis 3 to the second divine rebellion in Genesis 6, we can see very clearly that the evil spiritual forces are working very, very hard to destroy humanity. Then Genesis 3 shows us that the Nahash wanted Yahweh to destroy humanity through death because he, Nahash knew that the moment Adam and Eve would disobey God through eating the, the forbidden fruit, they would die. So Nahash wanted to make sure that humanity would die. That's Genesis 3. In Genesis 6, it shows us that the fallen sons of God wanted humanity destroyed through intensified wickedness on earth. So from the first six chapters of Genesis, you can see that humanity's destruction was on the mind of these fallen spiritual beings. And church, I want you to know that even if we do not disturb this evil beings, they are bent to destroy us. They are bent to destroy you and your family. They want humanity to stay separated from God and never be part of Yahweh's divine plan. And I've seen believers in the church having a false notion, having a wrong understanding that if we don't disturb the evil forces in the, in the, in the spiritual realm, they will then leave us alone. I don't touch them, they won't touch me. I don't disturb them, they also won't disturb me. But I want you to know, church, that the the spiritual warfare was declared to humanity since the beginning of time. So whether we like it or not, whether we pretend it's there or not, it is there. We are in the state of spiritual warfare ever since Genesis. And that's why in Genesis 3.15, it says very clearly that, that it's in, it has informed us that there will always be enmity between the serpent's offspring and humanity. And of course, for us today, believers of Jesus Christ today, the good news for us is that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Can someone say amen? And that's what Colossians 1.13 tells us, isn't it? That we have been transferred from the dominion, from the influence, from the control, from the stronghold of the enemy. Notice that in Colossians 1.13, it didn't say that the enemy has a kingdom. It says a dominion. But for Christ, it is a kingdom because Christ is the king. So we are transferred from the dominion, the, in, the evil influence, into the kingdom of God. And because of that, we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ for people to be set free from this stronghold, from the dominion of these evil forces and be part of Christ's everlasting kingdom. 
And church, I firmly believe that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can set men and women free from the evil forces. There's no other way except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because without the authority and power of Jesus Christ, men and women will remain under the evil forces' dominion. And as you hear and understand these spiritual truths, I pray, church, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you regarding your unsaved loved ones and friends. Are there people in your circle of influence whom the Lord is speaking to you to reach out to now? Are there family members and loved ones who need to be set free from this dominion and be part of Christ's kingdom? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to use you to reach out to them and to lead them into God's kingdom. Amen? So church, keep believing, keep praying, keep reaching out missionally to them in love so that our unsaved loved ones and friends can experience God's love in a very personal way through your life. Only the power in the gospel of Jesus Christ can set our loved ones and friends free from these evil forces. Now, of course, there's another benefit for those of us who are believers in Christ. Because of our status as God's children today, we have the power to deal with strongholds in our lives as well. Now, some of us may have past strongholds that we have not dealt with before we were Christians all the way until today. And these strongholds can be seen through addiction issues that negatively disrupt your life, your family's life as well. Or it can be anger and rage issues that are uncontrollable where you become another person, totally unable to control your, your emotion. Or even reoccurring suicidal thoughts or self-harming suggestions that plague you in your life and, and want you to end it all. And these are just some strongholds that can hinder you from living out a victorious Christian life. And I want you to know today that we can help you in Jesus' name. And to assist you to break free from possible spiritual strongholds, we have our grace, wholeness ministry to help you to find freedom and wholeness. And if you need help to break free from possible spiritual strongholds, do sign up for the coming Restore to Wholeness Seminar in the coming months, which I understand in the month of April, there's one. So I will encourage you, come and see for yourself, come and experience the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is setting you free from past strongholds because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Can someone say amen? So with this, let me move on right now to the second spiritual implication for today's sharing. And that is, Yahweh's plan for humanity continues. Yahweh's plan for humanity continues. Now, from the two divine rebellions in Genesis 3 and 6, we can see that Yahweh's plan for humanity continued even though there were many, many interference from the evil divine beings. Of course, the question is this, why? Why did Yahweh not remove all evil and wickedness from His divine family since they were a constant source of interference to Yahweh's plan? Now, if you remember, church, I mentioned before in sermon number four 
that Yahweh is never threatened by the rebellions of his divine family. Yahweh has judged some of them by chaining them in hell, and others he will judge later. For example, that of the Nahash. God will judge him later. So Yahweh is the creator, and he's sovereign over all, and he permits evil to exist to accomplish his plans. Like what we heard in sermon number five, God allowed the evil forces to crucify our Lord Jesus so that through his death, his very death will become the very cure for humanity and a sure defeat, crushing the head of the serpent. Therefore, church, no matter what the evil forces will do to increase wickedness and suffering on earth among humanity, I want you to know today that God is still in control. And His purpose for humanity will not be derailed. Can someone say amen? God wants us to rule and reign with Him in a spiritual realm. So what about human wickedness before and after the flood? So why didn't God, why didn't Yahweh destroy humanity and remove wickedness once and for all from the earth? Well, church, you must understand that no matter how bad human sin and wickedness was, Yahweh will not completely destroy humanity. Even in the case of the great flood in Genesis 6 and 7, Yahweh continued His plan with Noah and his family. You see, church, the moment Yahweh destroys humanity because of wickedness and sin, Yahweh will have fallen into the very scheme of the Nahash, which is to remove humanity from Yahweh's plan to rule and reign with Him. Therefore, we can say then that wickedness and suffering will only be totally and completely dealt with at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as believers of Christ today, we must be ready. We must be ready to live with the presence of evil and suffering among us as long as there are evil forces around, as long as there are human sinfulness and wickedness. Now, some of you may be thinking, then why? Why does God allow godly people to suffer on earth and, or even to die on earth? Well, let me explain it from the supernatural worldview now. In God's divine plan for humanity, our life on earth is only a part of the journey in eternity. Only a, a, a part, a portion of the long journey in eternity. Life on earth is not the end point, my friend. Many times we look at life and say, oh, when I die, I go to heaven, I'll be an angel playing harp for the rest of my life worshipping God. But I want you to know that I think life in heaven is more exciting. It's more exciting than that. I believe that God's plan continues. Even after we die, life on earth is only the beginning of eternity with God. And the death of life does not end with one's journey on earth. No, the death of life does not end there on earth. It continues Life is a transition from one realm to another, from the earthly to the spiritual realm. And we must carry with us as believers an eternal perspective when we look at our current sufferings and death on earth. You see, church, God's plan for you is not limited to your time on earth. His plans for you continue 
even after death. So then what is God doing in your suffering on earth right now? What is God doing through one's death on earth? And let me submit to you, my friend, that, that God is preparing, God is molding us to rule and reign with Him in eternity. Everything that God does with us today in your life, in your situation, is to perfect our character so that we can image Him as His godly co-rulers in eternity. That's, that's what God is doing today. God is preparing you, preparing me. God is molding us, molding us to difficult situations, molding us through our suffering. And in all of this, my church, I want you to know that Yahweh is still in control. He's in control of your family, in control of your children, your marriage, your career, and everything that you have. And therefore, church, let's rest secure in our God, especially in a fallen and wicked world. Can somebody say amen? And our role today is to say, God, as I go through suffering, as I see wickedness, as I see suffering among us, as I myself may experience some form of suffering here and there, may my eyes, not be, may my eyes be fixed on you. May my faith not be shaken. God, mold me so that I can be the godly imager that you desire me to be when I rule and reign with you in eternity. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word from Genesis chapter 6. And we know that, God, nothing has escaped your eyes. No wickedness can change the outcome of your purpose and will for us. Lord, thank you. And Lord Jesus, we will not be shaken even when situations and people around us are faltering. And we declare, Lord Jesus, you are our security, you are our fortress, and you are our shield. So Lord Jesus, we declare our trust, our hope is in you. Not in the world, not in people, but always in you. Hallelujah. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, allow me to speak to some of you here right now. Firstly, some of us here, we have loved ones. We have yet to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And today you're saying, God, use me, use situation, use things around me to bring my loved ones and my friends, my family members into your kingdom, oh God. Now, if that's your desire, if that's your heart's cry, I want you right now, wherever you are, on-site, online, lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, I lift up my hands and say, God, I lift up my loved ones' names to you right now. I lift up my loved ones' names. You know who they are, my friends, my family members' names to you. That's so lift up your hands and lift up your names and utter their, their names to the Lord right now. Father, you see these hands. You see that you hear the names that are uttered to you right now. And we pray that God, you will intervene and you will bring our loved ones, our friends. You will transfer them from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. Use us. Use situations. Use whatever you, you can in our lives to point man and woman to experience the love of Jesus Christ and God. So Father, we commit this area to you in Jesus' powerful name. Now another group of you, you may be going through a time of suffering and pain as well. A group of you here right now, as you hear my voice, you're going through a very difficult time in your life. 
And with the understanding of the supernatural realm, you want God to strengthen your faith. You want God to help you to use your pain and suffering to perfect your character, to deepen your love for God. And you're saying, God, help me to have an eternal perspective of your purpose in my life. God, help me to have an eternal understanding of what you're doing right now. I cannot see beyond what's happening, but God, help me to believe and trust in you that you are in control, that I can, I can trust you fully, that you are molding me, you're preparing me for eternity. Now, if that's you, lift your hand right now all over this place, online, on site, lift your hands if that's you and say, God, that's me. Help me, give me strength, oh God, to go through what I'm going through now. May your grace, your strength rest upon me. Father, you see these hands that are lifted before you, whether they're at home, whether they're in front of TV, whether they're in, on site in church. Lord, I, you see these hands. Lord, I ask, may your strength, may your presence touch them. And the Lord, I ask that you will manifest your presence right now and touch your people where they are. Strengthen their faith, deepen it, and let them know that you're molding them to be like you, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. So I bless your people with strength, with an eternal perspective of eternity. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering, amen.